Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Hello! Yeah, that's my 11-year-old daughter helping me out here on the show, even in her absence in pre-recorded fashion, as she is off visiting my folks for the tail end of her summer vacation, having a great time, presumably, up in Iowa. Yes, there are a thing or three to do in Iowa, just not any more than a thing or three to do well, four if you include tipping cows, but she is way too tiny and skinny to be doing that anyway. What are we here to do? What have you gotten yourselves into? We are going to be doing match mini previews from all over the globe. The uh, week we're going to cover is from Friday to Thursday, August 18th through 24th. Tournament matches, league matches from places big and small, countries that you know far-flung corners of the world. If the match is important where it's being played, there's a really good chance it's on our radar that we're going to be covering it, and that enables us to cover matches you're not going to catch on most any other show. We really endeavor to do something unique here. And we have a special guest for you this particular week, your treat from the Bryant and Me contest. It's the me. Well, not me. It's the me, Thomas Costello. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you which match preview he's going to help help us out with. You can guess which one is going to be if you're familiar with Thomas, which if you know this show and are a regular, you've probably heard us talk about it plenty. And if not, you'll just find out a little bit later on. But he's going to help us out with his favorite or one of his very favorite teams. Really looking forward to somewhat of a deeper dive than you normally get in our meeting previews from him. We do occasionally try to learn even a little bit more than normal. And so, with all this said and no further ado, let's jump into the matches with... Match number one! No Friday matches were quite bright and shiny enough to catch our attention and make the final 10, so we start our track with a slew of them on Saturday. Match number one is from the CONCACAF Leagues Cup, out of which the winner will get to go to the next CONCACAF Champions Cup, formerly Champions League, and get to uh, start in the round of 16. The second and third place finishers will also qualify for next year's event, uh, but they have to start a round earlier. And this is the final, and it is an all-MLS affair, Nashville versus Inter-Miami. A little quick background of this tournament for those who may not be as familiar with it or new to football in general, since you might have found us by the noob name. The League's Cup has existed for a couple of years. This is the first year that there's really been any stakes, though, and it's been expanded to include all the Major League Soccer teams and every single legal Liga MX team as well. So it is quite the affair. Series between our two finalists, Nashville and Miami. Nashville have had the slight advantage for two and two. It's not, you know, not real big numbers there either way because these are both fairly young teams. Nashville went one when they played each other earlier in the Major League Soccer season, one to two in Miami. And as hosts, we will talk about them first here. This is their first international major appearance in their four-year history, and 
I'll admit it, very much to my surprise, I called it the other way, even though they were at home. They advanced over Liga MX Giants Monterey 2-0 in the semifinal. Simply didn't see it coming, but they have been on fire. Currently, Nashville are doing very well in the Eastern Conference for Major League Soccer as well. They are in fourth place. The offense, it's really where it's largely been the last couple of years. They don't concentrate too hard on it. They're below average. But their defense, wow, they're the only team in the league, or at least the Eastern Conference, giving up less than a goal per match on average. What offense they do get is at the feet of Haney Mukhtar. He is a German center forward who has made the Major League Soccer All-Star team the last two years. I think he won the Golden Boot last year for most goals. In addition to the 13 that he's got so far this season, he is also tied for second best in assists with seven. So essentially, he is the offense. And then they've got a veteran goalkeeper on the other end who's very good. Now, the defense in front of him is good, but this guy, he's got the second best save percentage in the league at 76%. That's Joe Willis. He spent, I believe, his entire career in the U.S., Team's current form, they have won four straight matches with a seven against nil goal differential in their last two. And now, Inter Miami, the Herons, uh, they are again a very young club founded in 2018. This too is their first major international appearance. They advanced in the semifinal on the road against Philadelphia Union 1 4. They've had the advantage here of not having had to play a Liga MX team yet, I don't believe, except for maybe in the group stage, but I don't think so. Uh, that's a bit of a fortunate draw. Can they get it done on the road against Nashville? One wouldn't think so based on how they're doing on Major League Soccer. One could wonder how they made it to the final. They're in last place in the Eastern Conference. A lot of the trouble is they have only three draws, so they drop points like crazy. That's the fewest number of draws in the conference. Uh, they're tied for number 13 and 13th in offense and defense, respectively. And that combines for having the second-worst goal differential in the East. But, yes, Everything has changed, of course, since they got Lionel Messi, who is basically starting his play for them here in this event. And he already has nine goals and six appearances. So, again, a completely different texture to this team. One other guy I will mention, their season-long MVP has probably been Dixon Arroyo. Look for him. Play central midfielder. He's from Ecuador. Solid passer dribbler, and a great tackler. And now that they've got Lionel Messi, they really don't need as much offensively from him as they once might have hoped for. He can concentrate on his other things, and he can't get much better at tackling. He's doing so at an 86% success rate. That is outlandish. Last week, we had somebody with a 90% success rate, and if you're even in like the high 60s, you're probably one of your league leaders most anywhere in the world. Team's current form, they have won six straight matches in this event and have scored an astonishing 21 goals in those matches against just seven. And we have not had to wait very long to find our first bonus match. This one is two sad sack bottom feeders from some top flight league in the world that we call the match of... Disappointed! Kevin Sorbo bringing the high drama there. It is right. It is righteous. These teams, they stink out loud and... 
the ones that we have picked play on Saturday in the Chinese Super League, which is the seventh-ranked league in the AFC. No thanks to these two turds. Two of the 16 teams are going to get relegated. We won't even talk about the other end of the spectrum because these two teams aren't going to get anywhere near the top into international play. Rather, they might get sent down to the second division next year, one or both. They're a little bit over two-thirds of the way through the season in China. Your matchup, number 16, Shenzhen, versus number 15, second to last place, Nantong Ziyong. Uh, it is Nantong that lead by a little bit, four points over Shenzhen right now. They trail uh, a mark of safety, if you will, number 14, Adalian Professional, by two points. That's not a lot, but as we dig a little bit deeper, I think we'll find that that is probably far enough for them to stay safely in the relegation zone. When these two played earlier in the season, they played to a 1-1 draw at Nantung. Shenzhen, they get to host this particular one, if you're unfamiliar. This is a city that borders Hong Kong to the north, and it is the third biggest one in China. I'm embarrassed to not have been more familiar with it, quite frankly. Greater metro area, 23 million people strong. This is one of the top 10 economic cities in the world. They even surpass all of Hong Kong at this point. This is largely due to the fact that it's one of the biggest container ports in the world. They're number four in that regard. Footy-wise, they've only ever won one league title. That was back in 2004. Last year, they didn't miss relegation by a lot. They finished in 14th. This year, the offense, yeah, it's lousy. The defense, though, is the worst in the league by miles. They might be the only team giving up over two goals per match, and they're flirting a lot closer to three mat, three goals than two. They have the worst goal differential in the league, by the way, by a factor of better than three. Woof. Team's current form, uh, their couple of wins they got must have been early in the season because they're on an 0-1-12 and streak and have lost four straight. And now Nantong. This is a city in China that is in the east central part of the country, another port city. And uh, it the crest is one of the better ones that I've ever seen. It's got a uh, picture sort of of a wolf and it is in light blue, as is uh, the rest of the writing slash drawing, if you will, on the crest. And then the base it's not quite a metallic blue, but it is a darker blue. It is quite wonderful. Club was founded in 2016. Their official nickname, I don't believe, is the Wolves, but it might as well be because the reason they have that wolf on their crest is a tourist site called Langshan in or just outside their city, and that translates to Wolf Hill. There's a Buddhist temple atop it dedicated to a Song Dynasty monk. By the way, that's like uh, roughly 900 to 1200 uh, AD on our calendar here in the West. And sailors still pray to him to this day because of the power that he was said to have specifically over water demons. Well, could somebody get these people a monk to pray to to make their soccer not stink out loud? Good Lord. All right, Young Club founded in 2016. Last year, they finished in third place in the second division, and this is their first year in the top flight. Nevertheless, we accept no excuses. You're here. You should be doing better. They've only got two wins. That is the fewest in the league, even though they're not quite in last place. Uh, they have the worst offense going three quarters of a goal per match on average. The defense, uh, it's roughly in the middle of the standings, which means this is one of those horrible small ball teams. They park the bus and just don't try to score that much. It's not working for them. They have uh, the second worst goal differential in the league. Team's current form, 0-2-2 oh, two two with a 3-5 and five goal differential. And 
As usual, we will not wish these teams good luck or good fortune in trying to improve their place in the standings, but rather shoo them away in our harsh traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo! boo! We stay on Saturday and we head to Europe for a really interesting league called the Baltic Women's Football League. Not anything else in top flight football really quite like it. In its current form, this league has existed since 2017. The teams that compete in it, six of them, the top two from the previous years, Estonian, Latvian, and Lithuanian leagues. So very regional. And there's absolutely no other international uh, stakes in play. These teams earn their Champions League berths if they can get them through their domestic league play within their nation's borders. This one is, uh, I don't want to call it an exhibition tournament because you have to earn your way into it, but there's simply nothing else at stake but the trophy. Still really big deal for them because these are, uh, as we'll learn as we go on, these are teams that not, can, cannot expect at this point to really make any headway in the Champions League. They're way too far behind. Uh, they play a single round robin and the top four make it to the playoffs. And your final is FK I don't know if it's Gintra or Gintra. I'm going to say it Gintra. They're from Lithuania, and they are matched up against FC Flora from Estonia. They're going to play this in uh, Radovilskis in Lithuania. All right, first, FK Gintra. Gintra or Gintra translates to Amber, so a pretty cool nickname. They have won every single domestic league title since 2005 in their home country, plus three other ones as well, uh, not dating too far back before that. To say that they are dominant, yeah, that's just the beginning. Uh, they are the University of Sialiai. Uh, let me try that again. University of Sialiai Club. That at least, at least what it looks like phonetically. Uh, that. Uh, the city of the same name as the university is the fourth biggest one in Lithuania, uh, 100,000 people and change. It's the major industrial center in that region. In 2020, they started doing something pretty cool, building uh, what's going to be or is the largest aircraft repair and maintenance center in all of Europe. So good on probably, I'm going to guess, foreign investors there for really trying to uh, help out this particular part of Europe with that. In the Champions League this year, they had to start in the first qualifying round, and they lost at the very beginning of that. Twice they have made the round of 16, so a little bit better than I thought. Uh, last time was 2017-18. In this particular event, they haven't dropped a single point since 2018, although it is at least worth mentioning that this event did not get pay, played, presumably because of COVID, in 2020 or 21. It's still remarkable. They qualified for this event, of course, or this league, I should say, by winning the 2022 Women's A Liga in their country. And they did it by a lot. 20 points in a season that isn't all that long over distant second best MFA uh, Zalgirish. By the way, it is the 32nd ranked club in all of UEFA, so well in the uh, uh, bottom half on the continent. In the first stage, they went a perfect 5-0-0. They had the number three offense uh, getting two goals per match, but the number one offense, the only one, or the number one defense, rather, the only team that was giving up less than a goal per match. They advanced to this final over the semifinalists, SFK Riga, uh, in high-stepping fashion, 7-0. And now, probably your roadkill in waiting, uh, 
uh, Flora Talent is the full name of the club. They play in the Naiste Maestro Liga, which is ranked number 43 in all of UEFA, even, le- even weaker, pretty near the bottom. Nevertheless, Flora are your five-time defending champions. Those are the only titles they have ever won. They qualified for this event by winning last year's by 10 points. They too played in the Champions League this year and lost in the first qualifying round as well. Last year, they finished in second place in this event and had gone 3-0-1. They didn't have playoffs at that time. They advanced to the final, getting past fellow Estonian club Saku Sporting 3-1, which is interesting because I know in past iterations of this event, uh, they've played like a round robin or a double round robin, except for that you didn't have to at all play the team from your own country. In the first stage this year, they went 4-0-1, only losing to their opponents today, as I'm sure you would have figured. They had the second-best offense, defense, and goal differential. The offense is really their strength, though. They get over two and a half goals per match. Nevertheless, I don't think they have anywhere near enough sauce to get to the trophy this particular match day. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Serenading them in song, My Daughter and Me. Two teams from some top flight league in the world that are smack dab more or less in the middle of their table. Equidistant from the glory of international tournaments and trophies, but also equally safe from relegation, which nobody wants to see. Yes, this is your match of disappointed or excuse me, your most meaningless match in the world, rather. And it is another Saturday match. This one from Tajikistan. Their top flight is called the Higher League. It is ranked number 16 in all of the AFC, so pretty far into the top half, if not one of the all-time great leagues over there yet. Their champion will get to go to the AFC Champions League. That's the Asian Football Confederation. And they'll send a couple of teams to the AFC Cup, the secondary international club tournament as well. On the other end of the spectrum, two teams will get relegated at the end of the season, and these two can just uh, Netflix and chill or something like that. They're not going to have to worry about it more than likely. This is the last match of their double round robin regular season. After this, the league divides into championship and relegation rounds in which the top and bottom halves will only play against one another. Your matchup, number five, Fizkand versus number seven, Kosselot. Uh, Fizkan, they trail number three, Ravshan, by four points. Meanwhile, Kosselot, they lead number nine, uh, Katlan, by four points. They played earlier this season at Kosselot. They, they only managed a 2-2 draw. Now, here's where, uh, here's where the stakes actually really come into play, because even though this is meaningless, there is a little something at stake. While it's unlikely that either of these teams will uh, – you know, get a trophy or get relegated, there is a little bit, you know, of importance to getting into the top half versus the bottom half, playing in the championship round versus the relegation round. Kosala, even with a win, cannot make the champions round. But what is at stake is for Fazcan, they could still drop into the relegation round. They're in the top half of the league now, but there is one team that has two matches in hand on everybody else, so they're only like four or five points behind. So a loss here and a couple of wins for that team, and Fazekand won't even be uh, seeing themselves in the champions round with a puncher's chance at the league title. Let's talk about Fazekand first. They play out of the town or city of 
whole book. Uh, it's about 25,000 people southwest part of the country. Uh, their crest is one of those that's pretty classic within soccer where you've got a, a giant bird with its uh, with the soccer ball in its talent. So it looks like it could be flying away with the dang ball. At least that's the way I like to imagine it. This appears to be a very young club, but I couldn't find a ton, ton of information on it. I do know that 2020 was their first ever season in the top flight. Last year, they finished in sixth place. They won the relegation round, and that was the best they've done in their brief history. This year, uh, their offense is pretty good, or at least compared to other teams. This is a very low-scoring league. They're not quite getting a goal and a half per match. The defense is very average. Key player on this team to look for is Shavkati Hatem. He is the number five scorer in the league with five goals on the season. Team's current form they have lost two straight and badly, a one in six goal differential. Ouch. All right, and now Kosalat. They play out of the city of Farkur, which is in the southwest part of the country as well. Same region as Fizkan, in fact. This particular city and club, they're right on the Afghanistan border. And just a little bit bigger, 25,000 and change. This is another team I couldn't find a ton about. And in fact, I'm unsure of much of anything in their history post-2017. Uh, what I can say for sure, at the very least, is they did not appear in the first division last year. Now, whether that's because they were simply on hiatus or uh, maybe you know they were in the second division last year, not quite sure. I can tell you that in 2016 that they finished in second place in the league. That's probably the best they've ever done. So they got to play the 2017 AFC Cup and advanced all the way to the playoff round, just one round shy of the group stage, which is with tournaments like those where they consider the event proper, quote-unquote, really to have begun. This is another small ball team. Uh, they've got a pretty poor offense, getting well below a goal per match. Defense is just a touch above average. Overall, number eight goal differential. You know, they are who they are. Team's current form, they're in much better form than their uh, hosts today. 2-1-0 in their last three with a four against one goal differential. Match number three. More Saturday footy action. And from our part of the world, at least if uh, your part is my part, then it's our part, CONCACAF land. The Dominican Republic's Liga Mayor is the top flight. It is ranked number 12 in CONCACAF, which doesn't sound that impressive, but they only rank something like 14 out of the 30-some-odd leagues within CONCACAF. A lot of the Caribbean nations, the, the really little ones, they just don't get enough international play to make a meaningful coefficient ranking. They're the third best in the Caribbean. That tells you a little bit more. This is one of the few uh, professional leagues in the Caribbean. They've got an interesting season every single year. They played in three stages. The top six advanced out of their first stage or regular season to what they call the championship round. And yet that's not where they determined their final. Out of the championship round, the top four will make what they call the final stage. Right now in their season for 2023, they're about halfway through the championship round. Now, the two finalists, they are the ones that will move on to international play. They'll play in the 2024 CONCACAF Caribbean Championship, which is the stronger of the two Caribbean tournaments that happens every single year and are ultimately featured tournaments for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Also, just as a side note, the best non-finalist will also make it. And by best, I mean the team that had the best regular season and championship round composite record. All right. 
Your matchup is currently second best Seabow versus number one Mocha. Both of these teams are undefeated this stage. Mocha leads Seabow by a single point, but it is Seabow they have a match in hand against their opponents. Last two times they've played, Seabow won 1-0 at their place. Mocha only managed a nil-nil draw at their place. All right, let's talk about, I'm not sure if it's Seabow or Seabow. I assume it's the former. They are known as the Orange Beast. I really dig that nickname. They play out of Santiago, and they are your defending league champions. In fact, they've won three titles since 2018. 2017, they also won uh, the what is now the CONCACAF Caribbean Championship, the uh, tournament we mentioned before. Last year, they finished in second place in that event, and that qualified them for the CONCACAF League, which is another tournament that they have to do well in in order to get into the CONCACAF Champions Cup. They made it as far as the round of 16. They won the regular season this particular year by eight points over Atlantico. Uh, In that time, they had the number one offense, but the number one defense is where they really showed. It was number one by a lot. In a moderately high-scoring league, they were only giving up a little bit less than a goal every other match. And because of that, they had the number one goal differential by over 50%. Team's current form, they are 2-2-0 two, two and oh in their last four. And now Mocha Club is named after the city of the same name. It is the a provincial capital, 10th largest one in the island country, about 175,000. And it is in the north central part of the nation. This is mostly an agricultural area. They grow a lot of yucca and a lot of plantains, although they do have one non-agricultural thing. This is easily the biggest banking sector in the entire nation. Now, I'm unsure of exactly how many, but I know that they won the uh, most of their titles back when this league was called the Major League, and uh, that was founded in 1971. Like a lot of countries, there's been a lot of changes to the names and what teams com- you know, comprise the leagues and whether or not it's professional, semi-professional, or amateur. Back in 1971, I'm guessing it was amateur. Last year, they made it all the way to the semifinal in this league where they lost to their opponents today, Seabow. In the regular season, they finished in third place. Second best offense and defense, very well balanced. Defense, like their opponents today, was pretty good, only giving up two-thirds of a goal per match. I wouldn't be stunned at all to see a nil-nil draw out of this one. Team's current 4-4-0 four, four, four and oh in their last eight, and they didn't concede a single goal in any of their last four matches. Shy little frog, dancing with me. A person noob favorite, the Jazz Frog Sounder, means that we have already found our third and final bonus match of the episode. Since we're doing things more or less chronologically and they're all on Saturdays, it was bound to happen. This final one is a first versus last place matchup that my daughter dramatically calls the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, week, week. Week. And we're headed to South America for it, the Venezuelan Primera División, which is ranked dead last out of the 10 leagues in South America. And we don't care if it's important, or in this case, a bonus match that just matches our criteria. My gosh, we're all over it no matter where it is. They're only doing a single stage this year. Most Latin American countries, it seems, divide their season into opening and closing stages. Apatura y Clausura, not so in Venezuela this season. 
Now, the top four for the regular season, they will automatically qualify for the Copa Libertadores, the South American Champions League next year. The next four will go to the continent's second best tournament, the Copa Sudamericana. One of the 15 teams on the other end of things, equally important here for their out of the week, they won't get automatically relegated. They want to get this back to 16 teams, but they may not get to play in the Primera Divisio next year. They will have to survive what is called a relegation playout match against the runners-up from the second division in their country. They're about three-quarters of the way through the season right now. And your matchup, number one, Academica Puerto Cabello versus number 15, Mineros de Guayana. Series between these two, uh, Puerto Cabello have a 5-3-1 and one advantage. No real surprise there. And they won earlier this season on the road, nil three against their hapless opponents. Uh, APC, they currently lead number B, Deportivo Tachira, by four points in the table. Meanwhile, Maneros, they trailed number 14, Zamora, by three points. So neither end of the table is really... Uh, set in stone, but a big win here for Puerto Cabello could really uh, cement help cement the title for them potentially and doom Maneros. All right, let's talk about the home team first, Puerto Cabello. That is a city that is in the north central part of the country. It is a port city. And if you know your Spanish and you're a little bit confused, yes, that translates directly to hair, H-A-I-R, port, hair, port. The reason for that is uh, some famous Spaniard or uh, Spaniards at some point back in history during colonial times said that the sea for this port was so calm that you could secure a ship with a single hair. Pretty cool. And it is the busiest port in the country, by the way, population of a bit over 200,000 people. They are known as uh, Guerreros El Fortin, the Fort Warriors. Us, uh, a young club founded in 2011. Last year, they finished in seventh place. This year, the offense is good. The defense, phenomenal. They're tied for number one in that regard, giving up less than two-thirds of a goal on average per match. Number one overall goal differential as well. Key player to look for, number one league-leading scorer with 13 is Luis Hernandez. If you're wondering about that name, I'd never run across it either. Not Hernandez. We've all heard of Hernandez. But Luis is basically Lucifer without the C. Hopefully that's not really relevant here, but it was an interesting name just to say. He is only 22 years old. It'll be interesting to see if he can move on to a stronger league as time goes on. Plays center forward for his current club, and he has made four uh, U23 national team appearances. So this is a guy that's going places. Team's current form, a 2-1 loss at number six Deportivo La Guaira. That snapped a three-match winning streak for them. And now Mineros, they are known as the Southern Gang, but not because they are from the southern part of the nation. They play out of an area called Puerto Ordaz. Now, really the name of the city is now Ciudad Guayana, but it's essentially two cities in one. It's uh, divided in half by the Caroni River. And so the north half is the old town, San Felix, and then the uh, more newly built town, that is uh, Puerto Ordaz. So there you go. This is a big industrial area, iron, steel, hydroelectric, very good standard of living here. And this is for a city entire that has about a million people. They have one league title to their credit, but you know, it's been a little time, 1989. They have made four Copa Libertadores, uh, Copa Libertadores appearances in the pants, but none since 2008. Uh, twice they made the group stage, but you got to go all the way back to the 1990s for that. 
Last year, they didn't miss relegation by much. They finished in 13th place. This year, the offense, ooh, not bueno. The defense, absolutely horrible. They're uh, they're giving up almost two and a quarter goals per match, and I think that they're the only team even giving up more than two. So overall, they've got the worst goal differential. I don't see this team climbing out of the basement. Team leading scorer for them with four on the air is Lisandro Perez. He played on loan for his opponents today, Puerto Cabello, for the last three years. I'm not sure, given how young he is, uh, that he was a starter, but he was with that much better team. Team's current form, they are 0-3-3 in their last three. Although, to their credit, we always look for a little silver lining or something to hang our hope on, if you will. They have scored in each of their last three matches. Match number four. We finally get to flip the calendar page to Sunday. Time for the FIFA World Cup final. Yes, the Spanish women's side taking on England for the big, big trophy. But you know what? Everybody's going to be previewing this game. So let's turn things over to my daughter, co-host, 11-year-old person noob, as she likes to do her endangered animals segment and has presumably picked one out from Spain. Take it away, daughter dearest. Uh, she's in Iowa visiting her grandparents, as I mentioned in the intro. And yeah, unfortunately, there's something about the signal we're still getting that we can't quite get a lock on her. But uh, I guess it was nice to hear some Spanish flea. Herb Albert, you are always welcome on this show. Match number five. Our journey through the weekend continues. Match number five. Back to the U.S., the top flight for the ladies, the NWSL, where six of the 12 teams at the end of the season will make it to the playoffs. The top two will get by straight through to the semifinal. They're about two-thirds of the way through the season. And your key matchup, number B, Portland versus number one, North Carolina. The series between these two, largely in favor of North Carolina. They've accrued an 11-4-8 and record over the years. When they played earlier this season, though, and in North Carolina, no less, only 3-3 in carry. North Carolina currently lead Portland Thorns by just one in the table. Portland, in turn, they lead number three, NJNY Gotham, by 10 on goal differential is all tied on points, so a very tight race. You can catch this particular match 10.30 in the evening Eastern time on Bally Sports South. Funny, I thought Bally had like, you know, gone bankrupt already or something. Oh, well, enjoy it while you can. Portland Thorns, last year they finished the regular season in second place and they were your playoff champions. That was their third overall league title. They've got the number one offense in the league by miles, two and a quarter goals per match. The defense in turn, as you might imagine, is a little bit on the flip side. It's not like the worst, but they're definitely in the bottom half of the league. Nevertheless, the offense is so good that they've got the number one goal differential by over 50%. Your heavy favorites to win the league, and why not with my favorite player in the entire league there, Sophia Smith. She's the number one scorer, has netted 10 already. She's just 23 years old, plays center forward for them. She's also second best in the league in assists with five, and tied for second best in successful dribbles per game at three and a half. This is the gal that is the engine for the offense and is the offense. And despite her tender age, she has already made 34 national team appearances as well. 
Number one in league assists, helping around in that regard, with six is Samantha Coffey. She plays central midfielder for them and also has four national team appearances under her belt. The weak link for this team is definitely in goalkeeping. Uh, their goalkeeper is third worst in the league in goals conceded per 90 minutes at uh, fairly close to one and a half per game. And it's not just because the defense in front of her is weak. This is a gal who's got uh, the near worst save percentage in the entire league amongst regular starters as well. Teams current form, they are 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three, all in an exhibition event going on uh, parallel to the season called the Challenge Cup. Uh, prior to that stretch, they had lost two straight matches. And now the courage of North Carolina, a young club, at least in its current iteration, they were founded in 2017, used to be the Western New York Flash in the greater uh, Buffalo area, I believe. Twice they have won the league title, 2018-19 last year, only finished in seventh place, so they are back. Offense is good, but the defense is where they really shine. They give up less than a goal per match on average. Second best goal differential overall. These really are your two best teams in the league, no matter how tight the race may be, in my opinion, anyway. Tied for second best in league scoring with eight is the singularly named Caroline. She is from Brazil, center forward, 23 years old. She's also tied for second best in the league in successful dribbles per 90. She came over here from uh, Madrid last year, 37 Spanish national or Brazilian, excuse me, national team appearances for her. Tied for number one in passing accuracy from a position you would expect it, center back. That's uh, Malia Berkeley. You know, she should be way up there in passing percentage, as should all center backs. But she is the only one with better than a 60% passing rate. Number one in clean sheets on the year with seven of those is their netminder, Casey Murphy. Although it's really more the defense in front of her that's getting it done. She's only number six in the league in save percentage herself. Team's current form in a Challenge Cup, 2-0-1, albeit with an impressive 11 against 2 goal differential. Match number 6. No rest for the weekend weary new bite. Match number 6 is a Monday match from Colombia where the top flight is called the Categoria Primera A, and they are in their Clausura or closing of the two stages. For newer fans, basically just think of the Clausura as a single round robin Little mini season all its own. They do two of them per soccer calendar a year. This is the third ranked league in all of South America. Very strong. Uh, they'll send a couple of teams to the Copa Libertadores and four to the Copa Sudamericana. It's very early in this particular stage, but nevertheless, your key matchup. Number one, Bucaramanga versus number three, Neo, Rio Negro Aguilas. And no, I didn't just pick this because Bucaramanga is fun to say. At least not that I'm going to admit to you. No, these two teams are actually part of a three-way tie for first on points in the table right now. The team sandwiched in between them as far as goal differential is Independiente uh, Medellin. Uh, Aguilas, they have a match in hand on both teams, though. So this is just a sweet race going early so far. And uh, between these two, the last three or four seasons, it's been very easy even rather Rio Negro Aguilas, they have a five, four and four slight advantage. You can actually catch this on uh, Spanish language streaming service, VIX. They have one of their many channels. It might be one of the premium ones. Five o'clock Eastern time is when they will kick that off. Bucaramanga, 
The club is named after the city of the same name. It is the ninth biggest one in the country, right about a million people. This is a very financially well-off city compared to a lot of others in this region, and it is known as the City of Parks. Very beautiful. Uh, it's built on a plateau in kind of the north, northeast part of the nation, and it's particularly well-known for shoe manufacturing. Well, and clothing in general, to be honest, but shoes first and foremost. The footy team, they are known as the Leopards. I like anything but lions. Love, love, love Leopards. Uh, it's a really weird-looking crest, though, I'll be honest. Uh, it features kind of a head in the middle of the drawing of a head, and it's protruding from a diagonal line, and there's nothing on the other side of the line, and then something about the thickness of it. it, it it looks like a hand puppet. It is not a good crest. Leopard's good, crest bad. Well, batting 500. Hey, that's a Hall of Fame career in baseball anyway. Bettest finish that they've ever had in the league was second best back in 1996-97. Nevertheless, 1998, they made the champion or the uh, Copa Libertadores, the Champions League down there, round of 16. However, as recently as 2009, they were down in the second division. In the Apertura stage this year, they finished 10th out of the 20 teams. In this particular stage, number one offense almost getting two goals per match. But the defense is at least ordinarily barely average, but it's a very, very tight statistic. They're giving up less than a goal per match, and they've got the number one overall goal differential to back it up. Key players to look for. Tied for number one in blocks per 90 minutes. Yeah, we like looking for these defensive guys. 1.1 blocks per match. That's Francisco Meza. He plays center back for them. And part of the reason I wanted to mention him was, yes, this is a, one of those uh, whatever happened to moments. He spent a few years on loan early in his career with Tigres in Liga MX. Their MVP of the season, however, has probably been their attacking midfielder, uh, Javier Reina. One goal, no assists. But he is the engine that gets things going, an excellent dribbler, and talk about being able to shut down the other team's counters. He is a 90% success rate tackler. That's incredible, as we've discussed before. Team's current form, ooh, they've actually lost two straight matches, one in the league and one in their country's FA Cup. And now Rio Negro, uh, they are known as the Golden Eagles or Aguilas. Their crest is another one of the many in the world that features a bird with a ball clutched between his talons. Or no, I'm sorry, I misread that. that. I was thinking of a team from earlier. This is one of the few in the world that features a bird, and it's not carrying away the ball in the, in the crest picture. Yes, everybody gets to play soccer when the birds don't carry away the balls. The club is a fairly young one, founded in 2008, and they have been nomads. There are so many teams called Wanderers. These are the modern version and should be nicknamed that. They moved to Rio Negro, the city, in 2015. That is already their fourth home in 15 years. Rio Negro, by the way, is in the northwest, kind of central part of the country, a small city of about 150,000, but it's one of the wealthier ones in the entire country. So far, they are undefeated this particular stage, and that's largely because of their defense. They're giving up a goal every other match on average is all. The offense, eh, it's number six, 
it's good enough. They're tied for second best in goal differential. This is a team that needs to generate more goals, I think, to compete for the title, but there's plenty of season left for that to potentially happen. Tied for number one, or excuse me, not tied. He is number one all alone on the entire year in scoring. Marco Perez, he's netted 15 between the Apertura stage and what they played at the Colossura stage so far. Play center forward for them. The single assist that he has in this stage bumps him up to being number one in the league in goals plus assists. Their MVP last stage was probably Kevin Castano, central midfielder, but he moved to Liga MX side Cruz Azul in June. So uh, the new most valuable player outside of Marco Perez, probably. Uh, I'm going to say it's uh, uh, Jason Quinones. He is their center back, 83% tackle rate. Another guy who is really, really physical. Gets a ton of clearances as well. The real backbone of that deep. Team's current form, they've won three straight matches. Are the poor kitties mewling because they missed person noob so? Or is it because they want a recap of last week's matches? No matter the answer, the latter is what they're getting. Last week, match number one came from the FIFA Women's World Cup quarterfinal between Japan and Sweden. Sweden won one to two. Yeah, we said a look out for Amanda Ellistat had the opening goal in that one. Match number B was a Wednesday match from the CONCACAF Central American Cup. Number B, Zelahu. Out of Guatemala, they played host to number three, Independiente out of Panama, and it was Independiente de la Chora getting a 1-3 win, so they switched positions here in the group stage for this event. Match number three, a Friday match from the CONCACAF Leagues Cup playing the quarterfinal. You had uh, Carretero visiting Philadelphia, and the Union got a 2-1 win. Match number four from the CONCACAF Caribbean Shield semifinal. We had Club Sando out of Trinidad and Tobago taking on Golden Lion out of Martinique, and it was the Golden Lion getting a 1-2 win. And then bonus match, right of the week was a Saturday match from South Korea's K-League 1. Number 12, Gangwon FC took on number 1, Ulsan Hyundai, and it was not a route after all, unless you want to say that 2-0 is a route, but it went in favor of the last place team. I'd like to think it was because Olsan already had the league wrapped up, but who knows? Either way, congratulations, Gangwon, on getting quite the scalp. Guy we said to look out for as possible man of the match, Minwoo Seau had the opening goal, and this actually moved Gangwon up to number 11 here late in their season. Match number five was his Tuesday match from the AFC Champions League preliminary round. BC Rangers versus Haifong, and it was uh, Haifong out of Vietnam getting the win 1-4. to four. Interestingly, it was an added extra time, so... All of a sudden, they found a different gear. Match number six was a Saturday match. The Arabian Club Champions Cup final. Two Saudi Arabian teams made the final. Al-Hilal and Al-Nasser. And this is another one that went to add an extra time. Al-Nasser got the win 1-2. to two. Congratulations on the trophy. Match number seven, a Wednesday match from the AFC Cup. The second preliminary round. Uh, Mohan Bagan out of India versus Makindra from Nepal. And it was the heavy favorites, Mohan Bagan, getting the 3-1 win. Another bonus match, your matchup disappointed. Explanations on bonus matches are coming later, as you would imagine. A Monday match from the Division Nacional Clausura stage in Paraguay. Number 11, uh, Trinidense took on number 12, Lucano. And it was Lucano getting a 1-2 win. Guy we said you should keep an eye on. Marcelo Perez had a brace of goals and they switch positions in the table. 
Match number eight was played on Wednesday in the Europa Conference League third qualifying round, second leg of the home and away two-legged tie, and it was Brand getting a 3-1, mildly surprising win over uh, last year's number five team out of Portugal, Aruca. And it is Brand that actually get to advance overall on aggregate four to three. Congratulations to them. Match number nine, a Thursday match from the UEFA Europa League third qualifying round, second leg of the home and away two-legged tie, Ludogorets Razgrad out of Paul Bulgaria. They had FC Astana coming to town from Kazakhstan. And even though they were behind in the tie, wow, they put the pedal to the metal. They won 5-1 to one and therefore advanced 6-3 to three on aggregate. Match number 10, a Tuesday match from the UEFA Champions League. Again, third qualifying round of the uh, home and away two-legged tie. Second leg, Servette out of Switzerland taking on the famous Rangers of Scotland. They played into a 1-1 draw, so that means that Rangers advanced because they won leg 1-2-1. One, for Servette, their star, Derek Tessa, had a goal. Rangers star had a goal as well. That was James Tavernier. Rangers again win 2-3 on aggregate. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches with... Match number seven. Into Tuesday, we roll for a couple of matches from over in Asia. First up is the AFC Champions League, which has reached its playoff round right before the group stage. There are 16 teams playing here. It's only a single leg, not a home and away two-legged tie. And your matchup is Incheon United out of South Korea versus Haifang. Yeah, we covered them last week. Uh, Incheon that is a very industrial city in the northwest part of South Korea, really well known in recent years for its bio industry, very science oriented city of about 3 million people, fairly young club founded in 2003. They've never won the title, but in 2005, they did finish second best. They qualified for this year's Champions League by finish, finishing fourth in last year's K-League one. And that, by the way, is the second best ranked league in the entirety of the Asian Football Confederation. Last year was the first time since 2009 they actually finished in the top half of the league. So uh, welcome back to the now rarefied heirs. Uh, they're about two-thirds of the way through the regular season domestically. They're currently sitting in just sixth place. The offense has been uh, below average. You're not getting much over one goal per game. Defense is a little bit better than that, but they're definite, they were definitely stronger last year than this year. Tied for number one in assists in league play with seven is Gerso Fernandez from Portugal, plays left winger for them. And yeah, this is the same guy. I mean, how many Gersos are out there in soccer that played for Sporting Kansas City, 2017 through 21. So another uh, whatever happened to moment for him. But I think the MVP for this team tied for second best in accurate long ball passes per 90 uh, and was an all-star last year. So he can do plenty more. Jin Ho Shin, their veteran 34-year-old central midfielder. A couple other players just to be aware of. Tied for uh, second best in clearances per 90 with nearly five and a half. Young Soo Kim, another center back for them. And they do have the second best goalkeeper in terms of save percentage, 71%. That is Dong Hyun Kim. Team's current form, 7-1-1 one, one in their last eight. And now Haiphong, uh, they're in the Red River Delta of Vietnam and known as the Red Tide, or if you prefer, as I do, the Flamboyant Flower. They've got to be the only team in the world nicknamed that. 
Uh, they play out of the city as the same name as their club in the northeast part of the country, about two and a half million people, effectively as the cultural and economic capital of the big region known as the Red River Delta, very agriculturally oriented, though a lot of heavy and light industry has moved into there in more recent decades. This is their Champions League debut. Congratulations. They qualified by finishing in second place last year in the V League, and uh, they are and that league, by the way, is ranked number 14 in all of Asia, probably the best one from Southeast Asia. Here in the 2023 league season, they're just in fifth place, and there's only two matches to go. Uh, they've been well-balanced, but just not as strong as the year before. Number seven offense, number six defense. I would look for them to keep the score low. They've only been getting a goal per match in league. Nevertheless, on the scoring leaderboard for them in the league, with four on the season is when Hai Hui plays midfielder for them. Team's current form, 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three, although they only scored two goals. Match number eight. Tournament in Asia, the AFC Cup, which has reached its playoff round, or essentially third qualifying round. The winners get to move on to the group stage. Uh, Moen Bagan. From India, they won last week in the match we followed, so we're tracking them a little bit again. And they are going to be playing host in this single leg to Dhaka Abahani out of Bangladesh. But since we covered Mohan Bagan last match and my tumbly is getting a little rumbly, that means it's time for a culture break. And around here, culture break means food. Yes, we use soccer as an excuse to learn a lot of things about the world, but mostly it is food, just the kind of guy that I am as your soccer noob. And we have found a great one where the club Mohan Bagan is from. This is a snack recipe to my surprise, not an entree. We're going to learn a little bit about the making of, uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong probably, but Murray or Muri Bonto, M-U-R-I space G-H-O-N-T-O. And yes, if you know what this is, you might already be getting ready to fast forward because yes, this snack is made uh, primarily with fish heads. That's right. Um, let's go over some of the key ingredients first. And this is to make it truly uh, authentically, you can actually replace the rice with any long grain rice, for example, but you're going to want your fish heads. Any big fish head will do. Uh, over there, one of those popular ones is called the katla fish. The rice that they use is called a gobindobhog, but you can use any long grain rice. You're going to want plenty of potato you're going to be cubing up later. Onion, tomato, ginger paste, garlic paste, bay leaf, a little bit of cumin seed, dried red chili, turmeric powder, powder rather. It's going to have some power though. Bengali garam masala powder, cumin powder or jira powder. I don't really know the difference. Red chili powder. Yeah. In addition to the dry red chili, some mustard oil from salt. This is going to get hot. It doesn't say to, but I know from later on in the recipe that a suggestion might want to have a little sugar on hand so you can adjust and make this not sweet, but a little less spicy if you really, really want to. Not me, oh no, I like things with the chilies in them. All right, first your fish head. Uh, you're gonna wash the head properly before marinating it with the turmeric powder, salt, and the red chili powder. All right, as far as your rice, wash it and soak it for 15 minutes before adding it into the curry that you're gonna be making. Fry the fish heads in mustard oil. That's gonna get it tasting really good. I love mustard oil and mustard in general. The potatoes. To make it authentically, you must, for texture, cut the potatoes into cubes. Marinate with just a little bit of salt, more of that turmeric powder, and red chili powder. 
fry the potatoes in the oil that's left in the pan until they're about a third of the way done. They're not gonna look at all, all the way cooked. Now the oil, temper that with the dry red chilies, bay leaves and cumin seeds, add in the chopped onions, fry those up. Now you add in your chopped tomatoes, ginger paste and garlic paste. You're gonna cook that for a bit. And then those other spicy powders that we mentioned, now is the time that you're gonna add all of that back in. Add your rice and fry it. How do you know when you fried it long enough for this stage? When it gets to be, goes from opaque to translucent, you know that you're ready for the next step. Then add your potatoes. Now cook the potatoes and rice together until both are well cooked but not quite soggy. And this is the point where you're gonna adjust your spices. In other words, add some sugar if you really need to. And then bread that fried fish head, add it in, mix and cook it. Once it all done, uh, it's all done, you can add a little bit more of that Bengali garam masala powder. Again, that's if you want it spicy. And then you are done. This, despite the fact that it's got fish heads in there and you would think would look really, really gross, the fish heads actually don't end up, I won't say they won't end up looking like fish heads. You know what you're getting. But this is a snack that almost ends up looking like a really, really big chip in there with the vegetables because of all the cooking that you're going to do. So I hope you've at least learned a little bit of something. And if you're an adventure enough, adventurous enough eater to find or to make something crunchy, now you a little bit know a little bit more about how to do that. Match number nine. And now we're on to Wednesday for our penultimate match. And we're back stateside for the U.S. Open Cup. This is our FA Cup or knockout or bracketed tournament, however you want to think of it. And it has reached its semifinal. The champions and only the champions will get to go to the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Yes, this is in addition to all the different bursts that they can possibly earn through league play in Major League Soccer. Your final, Houston Dynamo versus Real Salt Lake. Boo, we don't like Real Salt Lake. Real is royal. There is no king in this country. We don't understand the naming. All right, got that out of the way. Off my soapbox. Series between these two, the Royals have the slight advantage with a 10-7-5 record over the last several seasons. The two times that they've played at each other's places, uh, nobody's managed to score. So a couple of draws. Houston, they actually won this event in 2018. They advanced to the semifinal over Chicago 1-4 this year. Key player tied for second best in event scoring with three already is Ibrahim Alio. He is a Nigerian winger, just 21 years old. He's not a full-time starter uh, for the team in Major League Soccer play, but clearly getting some more minutes in this particular event. He's got just a, one goal and one assist in Major League Soccer on the season. Spent his three previous years also playing professionally over in uh, Croatia, Lokomotiva Zagreb. Uh, currently, the team is only in ninth place in Major League Soccer, so not having a great season in that regard. They might make the playoffs. Their MVP on the league season has probably been uh, Hector Herrera from Mexico, their central midfielder, three goals and six assists. And uh, he's a very good tackler and dribbler as well, very all-purpose player. Team's current form, they haven't had a non-penalty kick win, though, in their last nine matches. And now the accursed visitors that are Real Salt Lake. Uh, the owner at the time, he was hoping to foster a relationship with Real Madrid. The fact that I read hoping means I don't think that he really managed it just because he followed some random European naming convention. Yuck. Anyway, last year in this event, 
Yeah, they lost to a League One. That's a Tier 3 team. Northern Colorado Hailstorm, nil one in the third round. Got knocked out early. 2015 appears to be the best that they've ever done. They made the semifinal. This year, they advanced last round over LA Galaxy, 3-2. Tied for number one in event scoring, really key for them. Four goals has been uh, Demir Krylak from Croatia, their veteran attacking midfielder. He's been with them for years. Currently, they're having a very good season, Major League Soccer, credit where it's due. Number three in the West. Uh, the uh, defense is actually not very good, but it's not a high-scoring conference in general and is the weaker of the two in Major League Soccer. They've got the number three offense, though, getting almost one and a half per game. Can't expect a lot of offense, and if they control the pace, this will be a low-scoring match. The MVP in league play for the team has probably been Pablo Ruiz, their Argentinian central midfielder. Good tackler, great dribbler, and responsible for a lot of the end product himself offensively. Four goals, four assists. Team's current form, they are 1-0-2 in their last three. Those were all matches in the League's Cup that we started off the podcast with. And they only managed a five against eight goal differential. So there's that leaky defense coming out again. However, prior to that event, they had been on a 10-match undefeated streak. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! And now here at the end of our podcast comes the chronological cheat. We're going to jump back in time to Saturday. Major League Soccer is back in action again after a break from the League's Cup, which is almost over, as we learned earlier. A reminder that the top four teams, with at least one from each conference, will be qualifying for the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup and at least starting in the first round. They're a little bit over two-thirds of the way through the season right now, and one of the best-looking matchups as they return to play Major League Soccer, it is the Hell is Real Derby, named after the billboard, and what a glorious rivalry name that is. Number six in the East, Columbus Crew, taking on number one in-state rivals, FC Cincinnati. All right, we're going to talk with the, about the visitors first here for uh, a reason I'm sure you're guessing by now. Uh, Cincinnati, last year they finished in fifth place and in the playoffs made the conference semifinals. First time they've ever made the playoffs in their young history, at least in Major League Soccer. Obviously, they'd had some success when they were in the USL Championship before moving up in 2018. In fact, they won that championship in 2018. Currently, Currently, they lead second-best New England Revolution by eight points in the table. The offense has been pretty good. The defense has been spectacular. They're giving up only a little bit over one goal per match. and They've got tied for the best goal differential in the conference. Tied for second-best in league scoring. Key for them, the one name you need to know for Cincinnati is netted a dozen. That's Luciano Acosta, their Argentinian attacking midfielder. He's also second best in overall goals plus assists at 18, and he was an all-star this season as well as last season. Team's current form, well, their League's Cup penalty kick loss to Minnesota snapped a six-match undefeated streak, although it is worth noting the defense hasn't been quite up to snuff, really. They have not had a single clean sheet in any of those last seven matches. But now... Your star, here to help us with the Columbus Crew side of things. We get a bit of a deeper dive than we used to on the show, and that's why we have guests, so that you can learn a little bit more than I can always teach you. Here from the Bryant and Me soccer cast and other podcasty things, 
podcast is the one and only Thomas Costello, the me of Bryant and me. Here against his own volition, I'm sure, not sure what leverage we have, or at least I'm not telling you, we once again have Thomas Costello. Thomas, how are you today? I'm doing good. I think I'm doing this to get my kids more Robux. You promised Robux, right? Um, Robux? You, you promised... uh, I remember yeah, we discussed Robux. Robux. I... Yeah. Dad, where's Robux from that weirdo down in Kentucky with the soccer show? <laughs> yeah, we can make Robux happen. The promises in the past, at least one of them actually went fulfilled, was a drawing from Person Noob. So I got that drawing, and I, I hold it dear. Thank you so much. So this is also proof that all of those promises you hear on the internet are true, every single one of them. If it's, you know what, I know we're here to talk soccer, but try to take your suspension of disbelief to a place where it seems like it's on steroids. The next time you're watching something, and it really needs to be on the big screen, so it needs to be a movie. At least that's where I find this easier to do. Put yourself in the mindset, spend a day or two in advance prepping yourself this way, and assume that everything, that if it's been recorded and it's on a screen, it's real. I mean, really, really build yourself up into that mindset and see if it affects the way you watch a movie. It's kind of fun. Huh. I'll have to do that. I'll have to do that. Yeah. And don't go with a horror movie or something. That's too easy. It's, you know, got to be. Oh, no, I don't watch horror movies. Less horrors are enough for me. Like a a mockumentary or or Barbie. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that that could definitely work for me. Barbie's not meta at all. It's just based on a true story. (laughs) <laughs> and that is and that is enough about that all right we're here to talk about the uh, hell is real derby all right i'm gonna lead off by asking do you happen to know because i do not uh what were some of the other finalists officially or unofficially for names for this uh for this derby before they settled on that gem okay so hell is real started uh the rivalry started because of the U.S. Open Cup, and it was in 2017, I believe. Not the year that Columbus and Cincinnati played each other. I'll have to go back and check that, but um, it was the first time that Columbus had a chance to play Cincinnati. This was back when Cincinnati was in the USL. There was someone in the crew fandom named Tony Galifo, and he coined the phrase, the hell is real derby. So it started in crew corners. It started here in Columbus, Ohio, before the teams had even played each other. I think it might have actually been another year, potentially, before they played each other. Maybe not. It could have been later on in the U.S. Open Cup that year. But I digress. um, At Ohio State University, the crew ended up playing Tampa Bay Rowdies, um, which, shout out to the Rowdies fans. I, I, oddly enough, have some internet pals who are big Rowdies fans. But it was from... Uh, it was from there, and it kind of no looking back. Nobody came up with another one. You might see some randos on Twitter trying to call like I seventy one or something like that. Calling a, a rivalry off a highway is is pretty boring and pretty you know um, pretty predictable. So having something like the Hell Is Real Derby, uh, Darby, however you want to call it, Terrence Trent Darby, it's 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 great. Uh, it's never been like uh, no one else has tried to take it over even. MLS and the crew and FC Cincinnati have all gravitated towards it. So it's a nice fan related one that uh, has stuck. And also if you follow MLS next pro, if you're that um, bored oh, we're ca- for something we're to do. We're fans in this household. Okay. So the Cappies, uh, the crew versus FC Cincinnati two is the heck is plausible 
Derby, which also <laughs> came up from a crew fan. So there's a lot of originality here in Columbus, I would say, within the supporters world. I know we're not as big as, say, you know, Seattle supporters or uh, looking down in Atlanta or something like that. But uh, quality over quantity is how it works over here in the crew circles. Sadly enough, though, the hell is real sign, which is partway between Columbus and Cincinnati, closer to Columbus, which kind of makes sense. Uh, there is another hell is real sign that looks just like that. If you're driving north of Indianapolis, there's another hell is real sign between I, Indianapolis I that and this Chicago. Was a- I assumed that this was sort of a, a genre of signs that there were one or two that might have said <laughs> hell is real or several, but that there are many, many others in, in that part of the uh, the northern Bible Belt, too, if you will. Uh, you know, all, I would say Bible about, Belt do you, stretches, do you If you die yeah. today, do you know where you'll go? And that some of them simply said hell is real. But for a while, it sounds like the thought was that there might only be one, huh? Yeah, there is not. There is another one, uh, which does not diminish the rivalry by any uh, by any means, I, I think it's a good, healthy rivalry that MLS did not try to start themselves, uh, which is nice. I, I would even venture to say if the crew were not being threatened to move to Austin, um, I don't think Cincinnati would have a team, to be honest with you. So it's kind of uh, fortuitous that it worked out that way, that Columbus almost had to lose their team in order to get a legitimate rivalry. Because for years, there was a Chicago fire but Chicago has not been good in a very long time. And then the MLS tried to make a rivalry between Columbus and Toronto called the Trillium Cup. So I remember that. It made of... very little sense to me. <laughs> well, they look at a fact sheet of both cities, Toronto and Columbus. Oh, they both have this same city flower. Let's call it that. Nobody cares about the Trillium Cup. The only thing we care about Toronto-wise is that Michael Bradley is the worst. That's all we can say for Columbus. Uh, But no, this is the real nice actual rivalry. So it's fun to have a a team this close to us because, shoot, Chicago is around six hours away. And I would say Toronto is like seven or eight. So it was nice to have a team. Indy 11 just doesn't matter. Right. I I mean, Indy 11 too, uh, to be fair. I know they fought to try to get into MLS, but... I don't know if Don Garber is going crazy about. I don't. I don't think they fought the prospects very hard of having I didn't know. Indiana team. Yeah, I didn't know it was not. They're still recovering battle. from it's the a real ASL estate days. Probably, probably. As we all are, really. I mean, I don't want to go so far <laughs> as to call it post-traumatic stress disorder, but there were a lot of good feelings no. and a lot of very bad NLS NASL feelings. Mm-hmm. But that is another. That is another topic for another time to go deep dive into the depth of the NASL. We get you a 30 for 30 sort of thing, if you will. We've never tried that here on uh, the SNRA show. Oh, okay. Uh, hell being real, I'm sure one uh, minor hellish component here is that uh, because she is in with her grandparents uh, today, she's visiting them in Iowa. We do not have person noob with us. You are stuck mm-hmm. with just me to talk about the hell is real, Darty. On, on a scale of one to 10, where would you measure, uh, rank your iron rage? Uh, I would say a, a good, healthy six. A good, healthy six. Um, we have, uh, I've been, had the pleasure of speaking with person new once um, on, the, on the Bryant and Me podcast fun hour. And uh, it, I was, I'm not saying it was promised this time. You didn't promise anything, just the Robux. But maybe next time I'll be able to align schedules a little bit better to to make it the full experience. Not just for me, but for the listener 
of soccer to keep on rocking in the new world. <laughs> keep on rocking in the new world. The new world. My daughter That's used to ask how long we were going to be noob, but now I'm training her in marketing senses, even though we've been doing this about three years now. She understands it's a branding issue. So, and that I still right. don't know. I all mean, that men and blazers don't always wear. <laughs> well, <laughs> men and blazers, they don't always wear blazers, right? So, you know, you got to keep the brand up. You're not like, you're not Elon, right? You can't, so don't ruin a brand. Just let it ride. We're just going to call ourselves Soccer Noob Xing America. No, that doesn't. That I won't there even. We go. That was funnier yeah. in my head. That made no sense even from the word go. <laughs> All right. So tell me about Columbus this year. Uh, we know they're in sixth place. Uh, it looks like mm-hmm. they're really strong on offense, struggling a little bit on defense. But I have not had the uh, pleasure of uh, happening having happened to select a crew game this year to get covered this is the first one what do i need uh, to know all right so in terms of goals uh they score a lot of them they score a lot of goals uh, 45 goals in league play is uh, the best in the is the best in mls um so they're they they play exciting matches they get the ball into the net more often than they don't but they also give up uh, 33 goals. <laughs> uh, they've given up 33 goals in 23 matches. Yeah, which is where, more like uh, uh, just taking a rough glance at the table. I'm going to guess that you know puts them you know, uh, two or three notches within the bottom half of the Eastern Conference uh, when it comes to defensive capabilities. Now, is that right. a matter of personnel, do you think? Or is that a matter of tactic or, or probably like most things in life, a combination? It's a combination of both. Uh, Wilfred Nancy came in, who the MLS commentators really need to take their time pronouncing Nancy because they say it way too quickly on commentary. And you can imagine what it sounds like um, when they're talking through matches. But Wilfred Nancy brought a, a three line back uh, with him. Now you think, oh, yeah, three center backs. That's great. You know, that means that you're going to have a lot of fence. No, that's not what he means by three center backs. He uh, employs where these fullbacks will, they will run up into the play and you'll have your defensive midfielder kind of dip back a little bit, you know, and play that quasi center back role. And so the crew had to adjust to it, of course, at first, like anything new coach, um, you have to adjust, but then also they lost a lot of people in the back line just from defensive uh, injuries. So Ale Room, he gets injured first. He's the goalkeeper from Carousel, Netherlands, Carousel, whatever you want to say. And he got injured. So second-year goalkeeper Patrick Schulte, former Cappy, won the title with uh, Columbus Crew 2 the year before. He jumps in to start. Then you find out that Aloy's trying to get out. So Aloy eventually leaves the team. That's just within a couple months. Oh, Um, I did not realize that he was no longer with the club. Yeah, they agreed to terminate his contract. So he's gone. Um, Milo Stegenic, who was the uh, center back from Red Star Belgrade over there in Serbia, I believe. No, I forget the. I think it was. Yeah, Belgrade. Anyway, he played over in, in Europe, um, played for Belgrade for years. He's a Socceroo, uh, Australian national team member. He came to Columbus before the World Cup, and he was very clear. He was a fringe player on the Australian national team. He came here because he wanted to keep playing up until the World Cup. He wanted to get more reps. He wanted to stay in good shape. He wanted to, you know, be ready. So when, if they called him up to the World Cup team, he would be ready to play. He did that, which was great. But then he also um, 
wanted to leave after the World Cup. So he left the team. Um, other center, uh, Jonathan Mensa, he was a starting center back at the beginning of the season. Before the Melo stuff, before Aloy Room was leaving, they traded Jonathan Mensa to the San Jose Earthquakes for um, some Gam Tam, thank you, ma'am, whatever Don Garber bucks we got for him. Oh, um, I, I was going to say, I hope they got some uh, some Black Betty out of San Jose because they like, typically they have had a lot of decent players to give in return, that's for sure. Yeah, and so we uh, brought in some other defenders. Uh, Gustavo Valencia, he came into the team. Uh, we had some rookies also. Oh, second year, excuse me, not rookies. Philip Quinton, he was another one that was on the Cappies last year, played a lot. He was injured, though, a good deal, even last season for the Cappies. But he's a, a big guy, played at Notre Dame, um, has a lot of size, a little bit of speed, too he was totally exposed. He was being the sole center back on this crew team. And you could imagine goals were just, we were just bleeding goals. Cause you have this pretty much rookie playing in his, honestly, his first top tier soccer season this season. And he's pretty much, Oh, Hey, you're the backbone of the defense. And um, it, it about ended as well as you can, expect it got to the point where sean zawatsky he's another younger player joined the team at at the beginning of last season he had a a little bit of time last year with the first team even scored a a banger of a goal against toronto to win all the trillium he dipped back that sounds like like it's a a currency in like star trek deep space (laughs) nine i'm gonna be honest it might be it might be this episode they picked up Right. They're getting all the trillion mines. Uh, they're, they're, oh, that quark. He's going to be so mad. <laughs> so, uh, so, Sean Zawatsky moved back into a center back role. And that's kind of how the crew had operated for a while. But fortunately, they also had the best offense in the league uh, with uh, Cucho uh, Hernandez, came from Wolves uh, last year, Wolverhampton. Um, before that, played in some like lower second division, first division Spanish teams also uh, comes to him from Colombia. He joined middle of last season, scored like eight goals in his first. How old is that guy? Like, late, late, he's not a, quite a veteran, but he's like late twenties, oh. early thirties, isn't he? Cucho's played since he was pretty young. Cucho is only, um, he's only 24 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He's only 24 and he has played um, since 2017. See, being you, but if I'm aware of a name and I've been aware of them for a while, it usually means they're on their last legs. No, he's not. Um, so Cucho came in and he was kind of a he was a barnstorm at the beginning of the season. He was going crazy, had a great start to the season. Christian Ramirez, who played over with Aberdeen in Scotland for a while, former MLS guy with Minnesota, former US national team player. He came over to the crew. He's a little bit older, he's 32, but he came over as the more you know, number nine role. He came in to be fill that striker position because Cujo, he is a forward, but he likes to move around a lot. He's on the wing. He's not just in the box trying to clean up, you know, clean up the ball and, and score those ugly goals. That's Christian Ramirez. And you can see that because he scores eight goals this season. He's the second on the team because the number one, the best player on the team offensively, no one could argue was Lucas Zellerayan. Oh, um, sure. He played... Right. He played tw- all 20 matches, started for the crew, has uh, 10 goals and six assists. And you're like, OK, he's the he's the one. He's the 10. Uh, he He's from Ar- Argentina, but he plays for the Armenian national team because 
at the age of 31, he just wasn't going to get into the Argentina national team. No. They, they were, at that point, it's, it's too late. So he joined the Armenian national team. He had some grandparents. And even his last name, uh, Zelarayan, it is, you know, it follows the Armenian naming convention with the uh, Ayan at the end of there. So you, you could see the connection heritage-wise. It wasn't like, a, oh, they have a uncle twice removed, you know, with an Armenian passport. It wasn't something like that. It was a direct familial connection. Um, he didn't just, everything he just didn't purchase it. <laughs> right, exactly. So the crew lost uh, defensively. They were in a tough spot. They've gone in and now they're trying to to fix it. They're trying to bring in some folks who can help solidify the back line a little bit. Um, but offensively, they're staying in matches because they can score a ton of goals. Oh, they can score a lot of goals. And then some. And yeah, then some. I, yeah, I thought they, Cincinnati was the real power when it came to uh, offense this year, but they've slid off just a little bit in that regard. And Columbus has remained yeah. a house of fire in that final uh, final third of the field. Yeah, and it was uh, it was all good things for the crew until um, the match against Club America in the League's Cup. I don't know if anyone's watching the League's Cup. If you don't know what the League's Cup is, uh, remember that Super League that everyone was mad about in Europe, everybody was angry about? Um, they're doing that in America, in Mexico. <laughs> so it's the exact and it's, same thing. It but... is, and it's glorious. We have uh, followed is. that. We have followed. We have a nary a week has gone by that we haven't covered one select match from from yeah. the league's cup there's there's champions league excuse me champions cup berths on the line and we're all about mm -hmm. stakes so they can call it yeah. whatever they want they can include whatever they want now i hear there's talk about maybe include uh, between now and the world cup trying to get some other teams up here and build a little bit more seasoning for the american sides that they might uh start trying to invite some south american teams as well yeah and i mean it makes sense it, it gets fans in the seats i went to see the crew versus club America and all of, I mean, especially club America, the fans of these teams, they travel really well. And honestly, there's just, you know, you come to Columbus, which on paper, people are like, Oh, it's a, it's a cow town. It's a, it's a farming city. It's really not. It's one of the more diverse cities, especially in the state. I, it's the most diverse city in the state, but um, it's a much more diverse city than people think. So there's already, like a hotbed of, you know, Club America fans who just live here. You know, it's just uh, sure. the stadium. Uh, now they called it a neutral site, which we, a whole nother episode to talk about why every match is played in America and why every match is pretty much a neutral site game. Uh, you're <laughs> playing them in MLS stadiums. Stop it. They're MLS stadiums. So they, even though it was about two thirds Club America, one third crew fans wow. in that stadium. Not I thought lie, it would be it more 50, very... 50, but I expected, especially given that, you know, Club de America is one of the really big three or four, you know, down there right. historically, I figured that they would, you know, I figured that they would make a, a very good showing in a nice mid-sized city like Columbus, but I didn't realize it would be yeah. that big. Cause it's not exactly like the crew are trying to grow their own fan base up there. That's a team that can fill a stadium most anytime they want. Right. And to the crew's credit, they have been selling out. They sold out eight games, not like the, you know, early 90s grunge bands, you know, but selling out isn't tickets. They sold out eight matches in a row or so before the League's Cup. Um, so it's like they have been getting more crew fans in there, but you're not going to be able to compete with Club America fans. Just a little perspective, um, the Nordec, which is the crew supporter section, only crew fans can be in there. You can't wear other people's jerseys. They were very clear. You cannot wear anything Club America in the Nordec. So they gave out shirts to people 
who had Nordec tickets because people are just buying tickets. They're just trying to get in to see their team and they're buying them in the supporter section secondhand. And the crew handed them all shirts. They had to wear these shirts that had the crew logo on it because they could not wear Club America stuff in the supporter section just for like safety purposes, all that good stuff. Uh, so for the perspective, they ran out of those shirts. <laughs> so they had no shirts left. Um, oh. So that tells you how many people were Club America fans, even in the cruise on supporter section. But That's really stunning. Um, and yet it must have been a very unique experience. Now, were you in the Nordeck or were you elsewhere? Um, first half I was in the Nordeck. I was with my pal Bryant, different Bryant than Bryant and me. We have another <laughs> friend, Bryant. It's very confusing. It's going to be we, like a law firm, Bryant's and Bryant's. And it me. is. Well, it gets even more truck accident. Right. <laughs> We're personal injury lawyers, but we don't get paid nearly as well. We sat in, well, we stood in the Nordeck for the first half. And in the second half, we went to sit by our friend, Brian, not Bryant, Brian. So we went and sat behind him. He's in the first row behind the net on the south end of the stadium. But some company has the second row, but nobody ever comes up to the matches. Nobody ever shows up. So the the MO is go to the match for the first half, sit in your seats, text Brian. If no one's been sitting there, we go sit behind him. So we sat behind him for the second half. Um, and in terms of names, we one time, well, yeah, last year we all went to Charlotte. It's a little off-topic story, but back to the law firm thing. Um, <laughs> our Bryant from Bryant and me was there. Our friend Bryant from Michigan was there. Our friend Brian was there. And then also our friend Ryan was there. So we did make t-shirts. Now you're just that making said, stuff up. <laughs> no, we made t-shirts. Um, the five, Only five have been made. And they say Bryant, Bryant, Brian, Ryan, and Thomas. And they're... Um, they're great shirts and uh, we're not selling them. So they're one five of a kind, I should say, but we were at the club America match crew ended up winning four to one. What makes the win even bigger, not just the fact that they beat a team of the stature of club America, they played their game. They weren't just parking the bus the whole time, which is what MLS teams will do pretty often against league MX sides. And also um, an hour before the match or two or three hours, excuse me, it was up to the match. They announced that Lucas Zellerayon was sold to Saudi Arabia. So uh, the crew's best offensive player is gone, which doesn't fill the heart with too much pride. But credit to the crew, they went ahead and they filled the void, though, pretty much immediately. Because then within a couple of days, they went from the you know uh, almost 32-year-old Lucas Zellerayon, the number 10, the more traditional 10 type role. And um, they now have Diego Rossi. Diego Rossi, 25 years old. He's a Uruguayan uh, national team player. He played for LAFC for a while. Um, scores a heck, a heck of a lot of goals. When he was in the MLS for four seasons, he scored 48 goals in those four seasons, um, plus 16 assists. He's not going to be a like for like for Lucas, but he's going to be um, somebody who's hungry to get into the 18-yard box, and he's somebody who can complete complete shots and complete those goals. So him and uh, Cucho and Christian Ramirez, even Alexander Matan, who's kind of playing the 10 role now, but Wilfred Nancy, uh, he doesn't really do the 10 traditionally. I think he did it with Lucas because you had him, and why not play through the guy, play through his skills. But That's even Lucas coaching. wasn't. 
Yeah, right. And even Lucas wasn't your normal 10. He's not hanging out in the midfield and outlet passing and stuff like that. He was everywhere on the field. So I, it's good to get a replacement, but it's really bad to get that replacement um, and his first match be against your rivals in Cincinnati. Oh, um, I think that'll make, so, yeah. it, make it more fun, at least for us. Yes, All right. Is. rapid, uh, Somewhat rapid fire here. Uh, where? Uh, what's your prediction for the game? Uh, I think um, <laughs> that says it was, <laughs> yeah, it was three to two Cincinnati last time out earlier this year down in Cincinnati. I'm going to say three to two again. I hesitantly say the crew can pull it out. Uh, so well, three, you know what? Three I'm, two when, crew. You're talking about a team that will probably sleep in its own bed before making the trip to Cincinnati. At least that's my guess. And that's. So oh, that's they, a, no, they play in Columbus this time. Sorry. Oh, it's Last in Columbus time this time. I had it turned around. Yeah. Uh, like, you yeah. know, why not? Cincinnati is, uh, they've only lost twice all year. But I mean, that, that form just. That form just can't hold. Major League Soccer has too much of a reputation of being an incredibly difficult place to uh, go on the road, you know, uh -huh. go on the road and get three points or any points for a while. I remember one particular year. So we're look we're going to look for a moderate shootout. We're going to look for a crew win on that. Where do you uh, where do you see them playoff wise? Can they crack the top four? I, I don't see any chance for them. Uh -huh. I'm sure you don't either of dropping out of the playoffs. No, I think dropping out of the playoffs would be. Um, a mon monumental at this point. I think that like they're especially when nine teams get in, uh, they, they're six points ahead. Yeah. Who's going to replace them? You know, Montreal. Right. No, Montreal aren't going. No, in. no one's. Yeah, there's no one on the fringe that looks scary. There's no one on the fringe that could you know disrupt it. Maybe New York City FC, but I mean they got rid of their big striker anyway. So I, I don't know how they're really doing without him yeah so um, philly national uh, no, I think, Orlando, can they overtake two of them um nashville's only up two points with a game in hand i think columbus could be in that four to five conversation for sure yeah that wouldn't be too bad and if it happened to put them against nashville that also wouldn't be too bad a trip so we're gonna no. uh our heart will be with columbus this particular week our show doesn't officially have a stance for any one particular team throughout the season we like to uh accommodate the guests uh because that's lots of fun so it's going to be go crew for us on this particular match day and uh, now to finish things off and i've warned you about this in advance but not give you the question since it's the hell is real derby we're going to hit you with some uh sort of uh trivia or quiz questions on hell because hmm. I, I can confirm i do not i think it'll be great i haven't read up on my revelations or anything we've so, actually been uh, studying I, that on my uh church on wednesday nights but you will not uh, two of the three, you oh. would not need any any uh, old or New Testament uh, uh, background to really be able to answer. Okay, okay. First, <clears throat> first question: uh, "Bat Out of Hell," the 1977 uh, super album from Meatloaf. Mm. Uh, true or false? That was based on um, a musical. True. Okay. Do you know the musical that it came out of? 
I do not. Bonus <laughs> points. You would have gotten even more. Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't ask that unless it was. I. It was something that I just learned today. There was an out. Al- the album was developed from a musical that was futuristic rock version of Peter Pan called Neverland. Somehow, I don't think that toured for a oh. long, long time. I mean, it didn't play in Peoria probably, and that means it won't play anywhere, as far as I'm concerned, and most people are concerned. <laughs> All right, so we got our first one, and you've gotten the points. Congratulations, I. Yeah, this is like who's lying in it anyway. The points are arbitrary and don't matter. All right, our second question, the phrase, hell in a handbasket. The origin, I'll give you two options. Is this A, something having to do with mining, or B, is the uh, origin or etymology of that phrase come from a, uh, a turned phrase relating to Little Red Riding Hood? Um. I'm going to go with Little Red Riding Hood. It seems to be, it may not be the the very first time it was ever used, but it would seem the general origin of it is it was a term that came out of the American gold rush years of the 1800s, early mid 1800s. Men were lowered down in baskets in the mining shafts to set explosives, which often didn't go Hmm. very well. So hence, going to hell in a handbasket, as it turns out. Okay. All right. This third one is not really, there's no right or wrong. So you've gotten one out of two. And as far as I'm concerned, that makes you a great big giant winner. Uh, The third question is, uh, I've grown up as a Protestant. You with the name Costello, I have to think of uh, Catholic origins and maybe even Catholic Mm -hmm. currents. I don't know your proclivities for sure. But are you a a ETC guy or are you an annihilism guy when it comes to Christian view of hell? Um, I did grow up Catholic, but I don't have much... Um, connection to purgatory at this point. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, so you don't have a definitive opinion on uh, whether whether you think hell will be uh, in the Christian view is more likely to be et- uh, eternal conscious torment or uh, an, inde- an indefinite and yet finite period of conscious wrath for those who did not join in union with God and uh, will eventually be smushed into nothingness and experience nothing no mo. That's um, let's go with the latter. Yeah, that would give a lot of people a little bit more peace, at least. So, okay, here's we raise our we raise <laughs> our gla- we raise our glass to the idea of annihilism instead of etc. I'm just glad yeah. that you knew what it was. I wasn't sure where that was going to go. <laughs> we always have to end. So, what was the phrase? Was that you the told third question. We'd like to have our nonsense out front. Right, so, we always like have our nonsense be nonsense and not try to use our nonsense to make us sound like we're making sense. No, and I thought, you know what? If I'm doing the hell is real Darby, I got to come up with something different because was that the third question? It's not we're we're not we're not as disparate in what we talk about as on Brian and me, but we do like to stay straight oh. from the soccer a fair bit. No, that's fine. And was that the third question? Was which yeah, one so I agree? You have, compl- okay. you, have com- you have completed the uh, gauntlet uh, with a Oof. minute. Let's go on our time. So congratulations. I will actually be sending you some Robux this particular time. I completely yes. forgot that was a thing from before for you and maybe the kids if you decide to share them. Thomas Costello, the Brian no. and me podcast available on your finer platforms anywhere. Thank you for educating us about the Columbus crew today and having some fun with me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here. This is my um num- number B time. I've been on the show. Yes, your beef time. <laughs> My beef time. So uh, may uh, may your listener feedback encourage a third if you liked having me. I, I love being here. Thank you for having me. 
we look forward to it. Thanks, Thomas. And that is all she wrote. Whoever she is, I don't think it's Person Noob. Anyway, for episode 149 of Soccer Noob Rock in America, featuring Person Noob, even as she visits her grandparents in Iowa. Thank you very much to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry to my daughter. Person Noob, even in your absence, I feel your effect on the show from across the miles, or more specifically, the pre-recorded stuff that we have you do. Anyway, and thank you to you for finding us listening through. We hope you've enjoyed it and that you will consider passing us along to your footy-minded friends. Until we can do it again in a few days, please have yourself a fabulous footy week. Take care.